The Bearcat Basketball Podcast is now presented by the Healthcare Management Group. Shout out to everyone at HCMG, and thank you for the support. Welcome back to another episode of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Meacham, former UC basketball player from 1997 to 1999 under the legendary coach, my man, Bob Huggins. And I was fortunate enough to wear the iconic Jordan Brand Unis during my time. Now, you can find me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham is spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. You can find me on Facebook and LinkedIn as Alex Meacham. You can find me on Snapchat, Big Meach 41. And thanks to my producer, the Honorable Stu Holt. I'm on TikTok. No videos, though. Just a creeper. On TikTok, at Alex Meacham 41. Bearcat fans, I'm excited to welcome in my next guest. This former Bearcat played for the Bearcats from 2005 to 2007 under Andy Kennedy and Mick Cronin. I ran into him in L.A. at the Drew League a couple years ago. We stayed in touch. And I wanted to get him on the podcast because I think his journey in basketball is very interesting. And that road could lead back to Cincinnati. I'd like to welcome in my guy, number 23, Ronald Allen. What's up, Ron? Mish, what's up, man? I appreciate you having me on, man. Man, no problem, man. I'm, I don't want to interrupt your workout, man. You're in there getting swole. Listen to some no, no, <laughs> no. I'm just, I'm just trying to stay in some type of shape so I can work with these young fellas out here. Yeah, are you, are you in pretty good shape right now? Um, I would say so. I'm like a little bit above average for my age and my um, position. Okay. Um, real quick, before we dive too deep into this, uh, I usually like to ask all former players why they chose the number they chose. And I, I think, you know, you wore number 23 for the Bearcats. And I think it's kind of obvious you probably wore that because of Michael Jordan. Would I, would I be right? Yes, that's exactly why I wore it. Okay. And have you, did you always wear number 23 growing up or was that something you got later on? Originally it was 21, but throughout high school, I found it hard to get the number 21 just because it was just a real popular number. And I was mm-hmm. always the I was always the youngest guy on the teams that I played on. Mm-hmm. So seniority always beat me out. So I realized most guys was uh, they were afraid to wear 23. Yeah. So I'm like, man, I love Mike. So I'm gonna put it on 23. But originally I wanted 21 for Kevin Garnett, but I could never get it. Got you. Okay. All right. All right. Now now tell everybody what city you're in right now. I'm in Salt Lake City, Utah. You like it there? I'm living the dream, man. I can't complain at all. Now, do you guys have cicadas there? I haven't seen or heard any, but I've I've been told that they'll come out, but I ain't seen those cicadas at all. Hey, man, we hey Ron, we have them bad here. It's starting to it's starting to settle down, but but we had them bad here in certain areas in Cincinnati, um, pretty bad and. <laughs> It's crazy because you, you've seen them before, right? You know what they look like. I know exactly what you're talking about, man. I spent a little bit of time in the South before I got to Cincinnati, so I know exactly what you're talking about. Them things make a lot of noise. Loud. Well, well, there's a place here in Cincinnati that they are 
taking cicadas and they are putting them as a topping on pizza and eating mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Wait, what's mm-hmm. wrong with people, Ron? You know what? I'm not gonna sit. I'm not gonna judge nobody's cuisine. <laughs> <laughs> just don't, just don't put it on my plate. That's all don't I say. Put it, don't put it on my plate. You right about <laughs> that, Don't put man. it on my plate. That is interesting. Very, very. That's, I will not be stopping at that pizza shop. <laughs> no way, no way. And you know what? As I as I look out the window right now, um, we are having a very, very SoCal type of day. It is 81, sunny, blue skies. Beautiful day, man. Very, very Ooh. Southern California-like. Yeah, it you is. know all, you know all about that. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. That's it's actually nice here too. It's uh, it's uh, it's ninety-three, but it's not like blazing hot. It's like nice and sunny out here in Salt Lake. Okay, okay, good, good. Now you and I ran into each other, and I've told this story before on on the podcast. But you and I ran into each other in L.A. Yeah. Didn't even know we were going to be in the same area. We were at yeah. the Drew League, mm-hmm. and I like I'm with my nephew from Florida, and we just happened to go to the Drew League, and I look at you and you look at me and I'm like, what in the world? Like, what a coincidence we run into each other, man. That that was that was pretty wild. And my nephew was like, how do you? Because my so my nephew actually saw you first because you what are you six nine? Six nine, yeah. Because you were so big. Like, my nephew's like, who's that? And I was like, I don't – and I looked, I was like, that's Ronald Allen. He played for the Bearcats. My nephew's like, quit playing. And I'm like, make a bet. And that, that was that was pretty wild, man. It was good to, it was good to see you. Yeah, I saw my man. I'm like, I'm like, what you doing out here, man? <laughs> <laughs> you was right in my neck of the woods, man. I grew up in that area. Yeah. And, and so, what's you know, funny – What's funny about that is I, I we took that picture together and I posted it and we had come straight from Manhattan Beach so I was at the beach all day and I had those flower them short little flower shorts on man people were killing me on social media you even said something to me like man where were you at with those shorts on <laughs> you was living the life man kick a fight man I was living the life man but hey let's let's jump into uh, your journey in hoops. And let that lead to what you're doing now. So I, I kind of want to go through your journey. So this segment is sponsored by the College of Arts and Sciences at the University of Cincinnati. They have a new flexible bachelor's degree that will allow you to graduate conveniently and affordably, and you won't lose any credit or have to start over. Okay, so let's go back to the start, Ron. You are from I'll pay the bills, huh? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you got oh you got you got to stop the sponsor, man. And thankfully. Enough people are now listening to the podcast, and we've built up enough steam where we're, we're getting sponsored, man. So I'm very appreciative of that. So uh, you grew up in Los Angeles, California, uh, one of my yep. favorite places in the United States. Um, and tell everybody what area you grew up in in L.A. Uh, I grew up in Watts. Okay. So like, like you said, the Drew League is right on the borderline of Compton and Watts. So they have it every year since, like, the early 70s. And, you know, being a kid growing up in that neighborhood, you know, you, you figure it out real quick, something that you love to do that don't take a lot of money that you can kind of do with your friends and something that you can find passion in. And I got lucky and, and found basketball at an early age. Yeah, man, you, you grew up in a tough a, a tough 
tough area there in Watts, man. There's some still areas that are that are really really tough. Yep. Uh, you learn you learn a lot of life skills <laughs> quickly. A whole lot, a whole lot of life skills. We, yeah. you know, so so you know the acronym for Watts is W A T T S. That's how you spell it, right? Right. So the, so the acronym is we are taught to survive. Oh wow! I never heard that before. Yeah, that's really what it means. Wow. At least wow. at least that's what it means. That's what it means. No, for sure. No, for sure. Um, and I, I've been to Watts uh, several times. As a matter of fact, there's a boys and girls club right there in Watts um, that I've been to. You talking about the Watts Willowbrook? You talking about Watts Willowbrook yep. boys and girls club? I used yep. to work at that boys and girls club every summer. Did you really? Yeah. So, my, my uncle made my uncle made me get a summer job when I was in high school and in college. Oh wow! I, I've I've been to that one uh, twice. So when I was in L.A. and I was doing some. I was helping out at the uh, Boys and Girls Club in uh, South LA, uh, right there near 50, right ne- right next, right down from uh, USC. Uh, they had me stop down to the one in Watts as well, and I uh, mm-hmm. I checked into that one. So um, for sure, now tell everybody what high school you went to. Well, I always like to represent because I'm, you know, I, I even though I transferred, people know uh-huh. me as a, people know me as an Artesia guy, but I did start my high school career at Linwood High School, so. My, okay. my freshman year, I was at Linwood High School, and then I transferred to Artesia my sophomore year, and that's where I ended up finishing. Okay. And where, where is Artesia in? Artesia is in Lakewood, California. Most people okay. know Artesia as the high school that James Harden went to. There you go. Gotcha. But, but we got um, – uh, James Harden is the best player to ever come out of Artesia. The second best player to ever come out of Artesia is Jason Capono. And oh, then yeah. the third, the third best is either you. Can, it's a toss-up between Ed or Charles O'Bannon. Okay, shoot, that's, man, that's tough right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's that's the high school I came out of. And now I guess I'm like, you got to go yeah, all the way down the list to like probably like twenty-five, twenty-six best player. This could, only because I had a lot of talent. I had a lot of tools in my box. But I never got it done. We never won CIF on my watch. We never won state on my watch. So I always gotta, always gotta reward the winning when it comes to splitting hairs about who was the best coming out of that high school. Yeah. So what type of uh, high school player were you? I mean, you've always been tall, right? Always been mm-hmm. a taller kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I was six nine at sixteen years old. Jeez. So crazy. I was I was always athletic. I always had a lot of energy. Um, I started to shoot the ball at a high clip probably my sophomore year. I extended to the three point, the high school three-point line towards the end of my junior year. Mm-hmm. Um, I was picking and popping before it was popular, and it was, it was even a thing. Yep. Um, I, was, I was rim running. I was looking for tip jams. I was like a – I was like a, in high school, I was like Darius Miles with a jump shot. Gotcha. Yep. That type, that type of player, and then, um, but it was just a lot of. It was my skill set was very unconventional at that time, and mm-hmm. unfortunately, I uh, just wasn't able to translate that to wins and losses. Gotcha, gotcha. So, talk to me about the recruiting process for you. So, as you get to your your senior year, how was the recruiting process, and then you know what was the next step after high school? you but the recruiting process was was heavy until scouts college scouts started to realize that i had not yet 
past the SAT or the ACT, mm-hmm. then that, that put me in a different bucket with my class and, and uh, guys who have been recruited with me. Guys like Hassan Adams and Evan Burns, like those guys were coming out of L.A. too, Craig Smith, like those were the forwards, the other forwards that were coming out of L.A. at the same time that I was coming out, and they had passed the SAT. Mm-hmm. So it changed, it changed my recruiting. It took me from being a Pac-12 recruit or a Pac-10 at the time to being a Big West recruit. So the Pac-10 schools at the time, Pac-10, now Pac-12. I'll just say Pac-12 for the rest of the interview, but you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Pac-12 schools dropped out because I hadn't yet um, been deemed eligible to play Division One basketball because of my test scores. And that's when the Big West schools jump in. And that's where the Cal State Fullertons, the North Bridges, the Long Beach States jump in because now they feel like they have an awesome opportunity to get this 6'9", athletic, jump-shooting, rim-running, high-energy forward that probably wouldn't have been available for them if I would have been eligible mm-hmm. or at least eligible right away. So that's what it looked like. So Donnie Daniels, who just finished – his third season, I think, I'm, forgive me, I think it's like his third season, second, third season as um, player development for the University of Utah. People might know him as the uh, assistant for Mark Few with, with the Gonzaga runs for the last, you know, 10, 12 years. Mm-hmm. He recruited me. He was the head coach at Cal State Fullerton, and he recruited me very hard. And he ended up getting me to sign. I uh, was a Prop 48 my freshman year under Donnie Daniels at Cal State Fullerton. So basically I had to go to school, go to class, and show that I was able to handle the curriculum at a Division One institution before they allowed me to play basketball in a Division One institution. So I was on the team, but I wasn't on the team. Right, and right. I went through that, I went through that year, and, and I had classes that allowed me to work out. Like I had a yoga class, and I had – uh, 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 physical fitness class, and then everything. Wait, 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 wait. How'd you do in the yoga class? That's what I wanted. I did good. I mean, I've always okay. been. Whenever, whenever you, whenever you put basketball in front of me and say, "Hey, you gotta do this to get the basketball," I'm a dominate. Period. It's, gotcha. it's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So, I had eight classes that freshman year per semester. So the yoga and the physical fitness were basically elective classes, but they loaded my classes with. Um, English, math, history, you know, all of the, they wanted to make sure from an institutional standpoint, I was able to carry the curriculum um, at a Division One level, which I did. At the end of that year, Donnie Daniels got an opportunity to uh, become an assistant coach at UCLA. Mm-hmm. He took that opportunity, which would put me in a situation where now I'm at a school where I'm not going to play for the guy I came to play for. I had no, had no, thought to go into Fullerton except for Donnie Daniels. So when he left, I left. I bounced around, hit a couple of JUCOs, stayed in school, made sure I was still trying to – I was trying to figure out where I was going to play ball, but making sure my grades never slipped, making sure from a, a school standpoint, nothing – there was never no dip. Uh, ended up at Xavier, Louisiana, mm-hmm. which was the NAIA school that I was at. I wasn't going to leave. It's an HBCU NAIA school in New Orleans, Louisiana. Xavier, Louisiana. Shout out to Xavier, Louisiana. Uh, Gold Rush. And I was there for a year and a half, and Hurricane Katrina hit. Yep. And then Hurricane Katrina hits, 
and that puts me back on um how do I say it? Our school was under four or five feet of water at the time, and me being three years out of school and only playing one year of basketball it it was uh it was frustrating and so mm-hmm. I began to look to transfer and I made a, a few phone calls and my travel coach. My high school, my high school AAU coach Rick Isaacs, who was the head coach of the H squad in LA, and we had a bunch of a bunch of top prospects on the H squad. He uh, he reached out to me and asked me if I was interested in transferring. That summer, I went to Baron Davis's camp where he had a bunch of young, talented players that were either in high school or in college. Baron had all these guys at the camp. Rico Hines was helping him run the camp. Yep. Mind you, I'm, I'm 19 at the time. And the, some of the names right off the top of my head that were at the camp was Nick Young, uh, Marcus Williams from – they ended up going to UConn and playing in the NBA for the Nets and the Suns and a couple of other teams was there. Um, who else was there? Brandon Bass was there. Uh, it was a bunch of guys that, like, like in our class, like DeJon Thompson, who ended up playing at UCLA. He was there. Basically, like all of the talent that you can think of in the early 2000s high school guys that came out of L.A. They were all at that camp, and mm-hmm. I played well. And then I went back to Xavier, Louisiana, and everybody was trying to figure out why the hell I was at an NAIA school with mm-hmm. with the tools that I had and the way I was playing. And I had explained to people that I transferred from Fullerton because of this, this, and this. But there was nothing wrong with me. Like there was no reason why I wasn't at a Division One, except for the fact that I just, I just transferred from one, and I'm not looking to get to another Division One. I. I didn't understand, nor did I. I don't think I cared about the, what it looked like for a player like me to be at an NAI school. I didn't care. I just wanted to play ball. I wanted to be in a situation where I was appreciated, wanted, and needed. My game would be able to grow, and I'd be able to play and get the reps that I needed on the court. So I really didn't care about where that was. I knew I was going to handle my business wherever I was. Obviously, when Katrina hit, my coach reached out to me and asked me if I was interested in a transfer. And I I explained to him, as hard as it was, I was interested. But it was just hard for me to to leave again. But I had to do what was best for my basketball career. So I told him, yes, I'm interested. Mm -hmm. He uh, put North Carolina A&T on the table. And I did some research. And I told him, I think we can do better. Nothing, no reason, no nothing wrong with North Carolina A&T at the time. I just felt like I would be moving linear to what Xavier, Louisiana was offering. If I was going to transfer, I was going to go up. Right. So I say about 10 minutes later, he called me and asked me about Cincinnati. And I'm like, Cincinnati? I mean, I, and I, this is, these are literally the words that I said. I said, I said you mean Kenya Martin, Cincinnati? <laughs> you, mean, you mean Nick, Nick Van Exel, Corey right. Blunt, sponsored right. by Jordan, Cincinnati? Yeah. He was like, yes, yes, Ronnie, that's, that's Cincinnati. I said, hell yeah. He says, hold on. <laughs> he clicks over and then clicks back over, and, and he's like, Ronald Allen, I want you to meet Andy Kennedy, the interim head coach of the University of Cincinnati. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, Andy Kennedy? I'm like, that's not the name I was expecting. And AK gets on the phone. He's like, hey, Ron, how are you doing? You know, he country and super cool. And I'm yeah. like, um, I'm like, I'm like, Andy Kennedy, I'm like, I thought somebody else was the coach there. And they kind of broke down to me the hug situation. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I didn't have to get you didn't have, they didn't have to get deep into what happened. They just needed to explain to me because in my mind, I'm like, there's a legend there coaching. Right. 
so like and Andy Kennedy isn't the name that I was expecting. Mm-hmm. And then they broke it down to me what happened. He told me he was the interim and he had took over for uh for hugs and there was some stuff going on. And I was like, Okay, I ain't gotta dive into that. I really don't care too much about that. But absolutely I'm interested. You know, what is it that you guys wanna know and need to know about me, need from me, so on and so forth to move this process forward. Andy Kennedy has said, you know, he broke down and I understand you're going through something. We just lost the scholarship. This kid named Ivan Johnson just reneged because he wanted to play for Hugs. He's a six nine power forward. He broke down his game a little bit to me. I told him, I said, I'm a little bit different than that. I'm not as, I'm not a, a bruiser. You know, I'm not yep. an undersized four man. You know, I'm more, I'm more like a versatile four man that can, you know, space the floor. Like I broke down my game to him to let him know, like you're not getting Ivan Johnson if you get me. Mm-hmm. And he was like, that's fine. I trust Rick. He told me that you can be this and this and this. And long story shorter, Andy Kennedy offered me right there on the phone. He says, I've never seen you play, but uh, I talked to Frank Martin, who's our assistant. He said he's been out to L.A. a couple times, and he made a few phone calls and asked about you. And everybody has said that you are Cincinnati talent, like you're good enough to play here. It's a matter of, you know, just being given an opportunity. So I want to extend you an opportunity in a scholarship. And I, you know, like, what? Like, God is good. You know, like, absolutely. Yeah. I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it. And, uh, you know, uh, a week later, I ended up, I went through a couple of, I had to jump through a couple of hoops to get my, uh, my release because of all the stuff that was going on from the administration side at the school that I was trying to transfer from Xavier, you know, trying to get, you know, my coach to release me and get the papers. And our athletic director was missing for a couple of days and they found him on his route trying to fix stuff. And it was just crazy. So I ended up getting my release. <laughs> no, it was crazy. I ended up getting my release, man, and drove to Cincinnati from, from uh, Shreveport, Louisiana. I drove to Cincinnati and checked into school. And that's how you ended up a Bearcat. And I've never heard the story. I've yeah, never, that's I've cool. never, I remember when you got to UC, there was an article about you in the paper talking about, you know, Hurricane Katrina and, and, and Xavier and all that stuff. So I'd never heard all the details. So um, now let, let's talk about your first season with the Bearcats because that was a wild season. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, and, what, and what's crazy about it, Ron, is like AK's the interim head coach – but like everybody, and I, I and I can't speak for the players. I'd like to actually know your perspective on this. But everybody on the outside that kind of knew what was going on knew that Andy Kennedy was not going to be the head coach the next year. Like it was it was known that UC wanted to part ways. AK was going to be looking for another job, which obviously eventually happened. But uh, did you guys get any of that? Did you guys know that while you were playing? I didn't. I can't speak for my teammates. But yeah. I didn't. I didn't. I wasn't paying attention to that. I was. I was focused on so many. Which was why I was assistant. Now, me, like you know, being a 36 year old man and doing what I'm doing now and coaching and understanding, man, I was going through so much mentally that I was surprised that I was able to actually get out there on the court and have the few moments that I had. So the last thing I was thinking about is if this coach was going to be here the next year. Yeah, yeah, you were focusing on you. I mean, not to not to say not to sound selfish, but it was. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Go ahead. Okay. It was so 
internalized and compartmentalized as I was walking into practice and walking into Hey, Ron, I lost you. Can you hear me now? I'm sorry. Yep, yep. I'm sorry. Back. Can you hear you're me back. now? Yep, you're back. Yep, okay. It was it was so much that I was trying to compartmentalize, and I didn't seek, nor did I even know I should have seeked the help of, you know, doors. You know, maybe it was Corey Blunt. Maybe, you know, it could have been anybody who – Terry Nelson. It could have been anybody who – I could have kind of sat down and, and kind of bounced things off of to get a feel for what I was going through. So the last thing I was thinking about was if the coach was going to be there the next year. I was trying to survive. I was trying to yeah. stay on the team. I was trying to scrap and fight for minutes and, you know, make sure I didn't lose my head dealing with Eric in practice. You know, stuff <laughs> like that. it was a lot. And let's, and let's for those Bearcat fans, what's, what's interesting about this is, there are some Bearcat fans that listen to this podcast that aren't very familiar with the time in which you played. Like you talk about a Prop 48. There are so many young fans now that have no idea what a Prop 48 is. Like you talk to a kid now, they have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, so let me break down. That's great. I'm glad you brought that up. Let me break down Prop 48. It's a, it's a terrible, awful rule that separates – young people who, for whatever reason, didn't have the resources that they needed at the high school level to be prepared for the standardized testing. Yep. So what it does is it makes you go through hoops that you probably wouldn't have to go through if you were given the resources at the high school level to be prepared for these standardized tests. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have SAT prep. We didn't have ACT prep at, you know, my schools. Mm -hmm. So I didn't understand how important it was to prepare for these, these tests for my basketball career at the collegial level mm -hmm. versus someone that's coming from one of these top high schools. They might understand that, if that makes sense. So the Prop 48 yep. is the rule where if you don't have a certain test score, on your ACT or your SAT versus your GPA. So let's say you got a GPA of 2.5. If your GPA is 2.5, then your test score needs to be at least 830 on your SAT. I can't remember what the number was for the ACT. Mm -hmm. Those rules, I never paid attention to those rules. Didn't know that those rules even existed. I was just focused on playing basketball. So all I thought I needed to do was go to class, play basketball, it wasn't until scholarships started to be offered to me from colleges, and then they started asking me, what are your test scores? I'm like, test scores? What do you mean test scores? Now, this is like the middle or the, the, middle or the end of my junior year. I'm like, test scores? What are they talking about? And I finally asked the right person, and they were like, well, this is this and this is that, and you need to have an ACT score this and an SAT score that. And I realized I was already behind because my peers – you know, the guys who I mentioned earlier, they had already passed their SATs, their sophomore and freshman years. Mm -hmm. So the Prop 48 rule going into college basically says you need to go to school, you need to go to class, you do not get to play basketball until you show you can handle the collegial work. But it truly affects kids that are coming from low-income low income upbringings way more than it affects kids who are coming from middle and upper class. 
So it's basically yeah. a it's a very separative rule. It does not have any indication that you're trying to get um, the upper middle class or the uh, the higher class kids the same uh, the same rules and hoops they got to jump through. They it's kind of tailored to work for them. Then the kids will come from you know situations where you know I got to probably drive across town to just take one SAT class. Right, because right. you know these classes aren't given to us. And Ron, there were a lot of players over the years that were affected by the Prop Forty Eight yeah. in a, in a bad way, and mm-hmm. there were a lot of head coaches, athletic directors that fought to get that rule changed and out of there. And uh, thankfully, they were they were able to do that. Um, and, and and let me jump into some of the guys that were on your team your first year. Um, just so so Bearcat fans can kind of have an idea who was on your team with with uh, Andy Kennedy as the head coach you had. Let's see, James White. You mentioned Eric Hicks already. Flight uh, White, Devin, that's my man. Flight White, uh, Devin Downey was on the team. Seth McGowan, Armin Kirkland. Um, I'm just naming some guys off the top of my head. Um, God, you Brandon Miller was the walk on, I believe, too. As Brandon well. Miller, so, yeah. Dom, Dominique Tilford, DeAndre, uh, DeAndre Hunter. What's the no, not DeAndre Hunter. What's DeAndre's last name? Uh, Coleman. You talking about the, DeAndre the kid Coleman. from Georgia? Yeah, the kid yeah, from Georgia. Coleman was. Yeah, he yep. was on the team. Um, uh, Jihad, Jihad Muhammad was on that. Chad Moore. Jihad Muhammad. Yeah, Jihad Muhammad. That's my man. Good, good dude, man. Chad Moore. Yeah. Uh, so, so that yeah. that that's. You know, you guys had a, a definitely a good core of guys, no question about it. But that season was just so wild because of the firing of Huggins, AK taking over. Internally, everybody knew AK was, you know, looking to get out, get a different job. UC didn't want him, whatever the case might be. Um, I know you said you were kind of concentrating on yourself. You guys make it to the NIT and you play South Carolina. And I remember going to that game, Ron, for South Carolina and thinking to myself, oh, this is going to be a tough game, but this is a game that, you know, the Bearcats can win and find out, you know, the athletic department is making two players sit out that game, which finding out later shouldn't have happened. Uh, but that's that's a whole nother story. But, that just added to the season just being so freaking wild, man. Yeah. You it was got wild, to... man. I, I didn't even know that. Like what you just said, that they shouldn't have sat out, I didn't know that. Yeah, so the way – and, and I don't, I don't want to jump too far into it, but but the way I found out – what what I found out was – um, like James White, the way the the grades come out, he could have played that game. I think Jihad was the other guy that, that had to sit out that game, right? I so, think so, yeah. So Jihad and James had to sit out that game, and they didn't have to. They could have played that wow. game, but the university had already pretty much determined that Mick Cronin was going to be the next head coach. Andy Kennedy was ready to go and, um, you know, take on old Miss's job. So there was a lot at play and they were like, we need to get this game over with. We need to lose this game. Uh, and so, yeah, that's, that's, you know, some people might dispute that, but I got pretty good sources that that, that's kind of what happened. Uh, that's, that's crazy. I never knew that, man. I, how about I that? that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's crazy. That, 
and that was so so far back, you know, back in the day. Because it, you might not remember this, but after that game, it was announced on the ticker on ESPN that Mick Cronin was the new head coach of the University of Cincinnati. After that game, yeah, I do remember that. I do remember that. That was I was like, damn, that was quick because I ended up going to his, <laughs> I went to his press conference, which was like a couple of days after the end of the season. And I remember that because it was you, Sed McGowan, and, uh, and Brandon Miller. You guys were the three there in a picture with Mick at the press conference. I don't remember. I don't I, think Sed was there. I don't think Sed was there. I think Sed ended up going home. I, I remember me and B. Miller. I got that picture of me, B. Miller, and, and uh, Cronin. Okay. I, I, I'm I, not I, 100% sure what Sed was there. I, I could be wrong, but I don't think Sed was there. Because Mick had to basically – you know, restructure the roster and kind of build. And you got you three guys were, you know, definitely coming back. You guys were part of that. So let's talk a little bit about that, that transition. I've yet to inter- interview anybody that was part of that transition from, you know, AK to Mick. So how was that transition for you? It was, uh, it was very challenging. Uh, it was just very challenging, man. It was, I, it was a lot that I didn't understand, and I was trying to figure out my place and my part in all of these changes that was happening. I was trying mm-hmm. to uh, figure it out. Like, where do I fit in? Like, what's happening? What's going on? And uh, the season jumped on us quick. I had a good summer. Uh, had a good spring. I mean, I had a good summer. I had a good fall. I felt good going into the winter, and then – the the five men started dropping like flies mm-hmm. and that changed the expectation of who the team needed me to be. And I started to try to be that person and I just was not successful in being who the team needed me to be, which was basically a, a five man. They, you know, guard Greg Oden, you know, <laughs> like guard Jay, right, Jay right. Dorsey. Like, and I tried, I tried and I thought I was successful at it. I thought I was good enough to do it, but, uh, Clearly, I wasn't good enough to do it. The transition was challenging because Mick was 33, and uh, we had a bunch of JUCO transfers that was trying to figure out if they could play at that level. Um, I think looking back, you know, there was a few things that I did that I probably could have did a little bit differently. I maybe, I, you know, maybe I should have tried to be Ben Wallace versus trying to be Ronald Allen, right? Like, you know, in that time, you know, the expectation was that I was big and strong and athletic enough to grab 12, 13 rebounds a game in the Big East Mm -hmm. and uh, guard every team's biggest, strongest interior player. And the expectation was there. It was put out in front of me. I began to strive for it. And it's one of the things, like one of my mantras that I live by, uh, I heard it from Jim Carrey. It's a great, a great quote. Um, probably, let me make sure I'm not on butchery. Uh, he says, you can fail doing something you don't love. So you might as well do what you love. Mm-hmm. Right? And so I looked at that time in my life where I was trying to be, as a player, I was trying to be someone who I wasn't to be happy. What was, make, what was going to make me happy? Playing time and affecting winning. That's what was going to make me happy at that time. And 
I just wasn't that dude. So I fell all the way down the uh I fell all the way down the rotation, all the way to the end of the bench. But in practice, they would use me as I was Jeff Green or you know, you know, I was just like, you know, these forwards that came out of the Big East at that time. Mm-hmm. Yep. I was I was those guys. I'm not sure. I think I think I'm not sure if Rudy was still at UConn, but I was those players in practice. And gotcha. they couldn't stop me. They couldn't stop me. And it was it was enlightening to me because I realized, okay, I could play at a high level. But what was frustrating was I was like, I'm not going to get a – I'm not – my senior year, I'm not going to get a chance to show this because I know he's not asking the assistant. I remember asking him, like, what do I need to do to get minutes? You cannot tell me I'm not good enough to play on this team. And – he just it just was it just wasn't a fit. You know, from a yeah. basketball standpoint, it just wasn't a fit. He wasn't gonna play me. I didn't do what he needed me to do. I thought I was being who he wanted me to be and he just he was not gonna play me over said John Williamson and Marcus Sykes. And it was just so frustrating because I'm like, in my in my opinion, in my opinion, I was so much better than all three of those dudes put together. Mm-hmm. But it's not what you know, it's what you can prove. Right. And obviously right. I, didn't, I didn't do a good job. I didn't do a good enough job of proving it because at the end of the day, no coach is going to play players that are going to help him lose. He's going to play the sure. guys. Right, he's going to play the guys that he feels are going to help him keep his job. And I, yeah. didn't, do a good, I didn't do a good enough job of, of securing Mick. Like, hey, I'll put Ron in, he's going to help me keep my fucking job. Excuse my language. No, no, um, you're good. So that was on me, right, like trying to figure out how to translate what I was doing in practice, what I was doing in workouts, how can I get that to translate to the game? And I, I didn't do a good job of doing that. Gotcha. Now, uh, the Bearcat Basketball Podcast is presented by the Healthcare Management Group. Shout out to everyone at HCMG, and thank you for the support. Um, and now, let me ask you this question. So I've, I've talked to several players that played in that kind of that early 2000, um, even late 90s, that I think there are some players that were were ahead of their time and probably would be better suited to play in this era of basketball. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you would be better suited for this era? Because I went to an AU tournament, gosh, it was a, got about a month ago. We played mm-hmm. at a, a, a tournament in Spies in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And there were, there were like seven-foot guards. Just bringing the ball before, <laughs> shooting threes, pick and pop, like right. like left and right. And I remember distinctly when you played, like you remember, I would come to practice. I would watch yeah. practices. I would see you make that three at the top of the key consistently. Mm-hmm. But you'd get in a game and you'd shoot a three, and the fans would be like, oh, he's too big to be out there shooting threes. He needs to be in the post. Right. And that was kind right. of the mindset that, if you're that big, you should be pigeonholed to do this. But now they're shooting. They're shooting three. I mean, Carl Anthony Towns can shoot a three, right? Right. right so, right, so what are your yeah. what are, What are your thoughts on that? Well, the game always evolves, and the the people what they do differently than the people who are in the same industry. And this is just across the board with anything you do. The, what the difference is between the successful person and then the person who stays stagnant and is probably unsuccessful at pro- progression is that the successful person sees patterns evolving and they either 
figure a way to avoid what they don't want or they figure a way to accelerate what they see already coming. So I just was in the wrong system given my game. Because if if you send me to another program where, you know, I'm not going to say any names because this is a Bearcat podcast, but you send me to a particular program where they allow their foreman to trail the play and they play through their foreman, whether it's a drag screen, whether it's a reversal, a DHO, or a high-low, or allow him to shoot that trail three if his man is sinking in the, in the paint. Mm-hmm. That's a, that, now, you're talking about a, now you're talking about a lottery pick with my mm-hmm. skill set. They're talking a whole difference because now this kid's playing 30 to 32 minutes a game. He's averaging about 15 to 16 points. He's shooting about five threes a game, making two or three of them. So now he's shooting at a 38% clip. That's a whole different stat line. And then also he has a 38-inch vertical. Mm-hmm. That's like hold, like, hold on, who is this kid? You see what I'm saying? But right. I was playing basketball at the collegial level when 6'9", 235, 240 pounds was expected to play with his back to the basket. And the crazy part about it is I had that in my game. It just wasn't. My, it wasn't the best part of my game. So mm-hmm. people who, you know, I really don't get caught up in people who don't study the game like I study the game or like other people study the game. That's why I was able to play six years of professional basketball, but I only played five minutes a game my senior year in college. Mm-hmm. Because once I got to the pros, my toolbox was unlocked. And now it's like, who is this kid? And it's like, this ain't the same kid that was in Cincinnati. Like, yeah, it is. It's just that system right. didn't fit his game. And right. um, and so I don't – and this is for me as a coach. I don't judge a player based off their their size. I judge them based off their skill set. Mm-hmm. What is the skill set? I know what you can't do. I mean, you know, if you were, if you were good in everything, you'd be the number one draft pick overall. Right. It's more about what can you do, right? And so if you have a player – and we're not even talking about Ronald Allen. We're talking about a player in general – if you have a player who can shoot the ball, who has positional size, that can guard multiple positions, that can make a play off the dribble, and and can knock down shots, you're talking about a, a player who can play at the next level, whatever the next level is from where he is at that time. And I just didn't have that. Like, I just didn't have it. I didn't have those looks. I didn't have those opportunities. I didn't have the the coaching off the court, like, you know, film session where they're like, hey, this is the guy who you need to be, right? Like, I was doing all of this research myself. Why? Because I was at Cincinnati for two turnover years. Junior year, the staff's trying to keep their job. Senior year, the staff's trying to, you know, figure their way around. So I don't put that on them, even though as a coach I would. I would see a player like myself and say, yo, we can get a lot out of this kid if we do this, this, and this. But at the end of the day, it all worked out because now you see the game. So I, I, people always ask me, like, as a player, who were you right now? Like, which player were you right now? And I, was, I always tell people I'm Marquise Morris. That was mm-hmm. the way I played. That was my game. Like, I could shoot mm-hmm. a three. I could knock it down. I could put it on a dribble. I could put it on the deck, two, three dribbles, make a play. I really liked, I really liked going to my left, even though I was a right-hand player. Um you know, I guess you can call me tough, you know, with basketball terminology, tough. And mm-hmm. I, I can guard. I can guard a five, I can guard a four, and I can sit down and guard a three on a good day, right? So it was just those things in practice where I would guard, I would guard 
Eric in the post for 10, 15 minutes in practice, and then I would have to switch out on James and Armin. Then I had to go back to Garden said, and it was like no, nobody's cooking me. Nobody's cooking me. Like it's just we playing, and it's like I'm just switching. I'm guarding multiple positions, and then I would pick and pop, and that wasn't popular then. Like so, right, right. I would get, I would be called soft, and I would get yelled at for shooting threes, and the it's, the shit's going in. Mm-hmm. It's, and and so you got to understand from a mental perspective as a player that fucks with you. Right. Where you like right. like I'm in the gym on the gun. Like I don't know if you remember, like I started my my junior year. I was five for five from the three point line. We played Holy Cross and we played Illinois State. I didn't miss a three. Mm. But at some point the expectation was we don't want you out there shooting. Yep. And it did, it yep. didn't come from one person. It was like just kinda like a, a general overall consensus was you should be making post moves. You should be doing this. And this wasn't from the fans. This was internally. This was the coaching staff. This was my teammates. This was guys. This was Devin not passing me the ball. I'm open. This is like him pointing and telling me to go down to the post. And I'm like, this starts to bother a player's progression and his development. Because now you become, you start to dim your game. Uh-huh. You're dim. And now your game's dim. And you're like, damn, like, Okay, well, what they want me to do? And it's like, do what Eric does. And I'm like, I'm not Eric, though. Right. But like, but you need to do what he does. I'm like, but I'm not Eric. Eric's not me. Eric can't shoot. Well, we don't we don't want you shooting. James and Armin can shoot. And I'm like, okay. But I can shoot better than them. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. it's like, and that's, that was the issue, was that I was trying to prove my whole career at, at Cincinnati. I was trying to prove that I was a, I was, I was good enough who I was as a player was good enough to help the team win simultaneously trying to do what the team wanted me to do, which was rebound, you know, box out, run the floor, guard multiple positions, play tough, rebound, fight, scrap. And it was frustrating because now as a coach, I would never allow my, never allow players on my team, especially when it's my call. I would never allow players on my team to, dim their light on who they were as players. I feel like it's my job to accentuate whatever it is you bring to the table and turn that into wins and losses, or at least yeah, try so, to. So let me ask you this, and, and just listening, it's fascinating to hear you talk about, you know, your career with Cincinnati. When you look back, how do you judge your time as a Bearcat, your Bearcat career? Um, Awesome. Awesome. Um. It was an awesome time in my life, and the reason I say it was an awesome time in my life was because for every frustrating aspect of my game, I made unbelievable relationships. I learned so much about the game. I learned so much from Andy Kennedy. Um, I learned so much from Mick Cronin. I learned so much from Frank Martin. I learned so much from Terry Nelson and Corey Blunt. These relationships that I have forever in life, I, I feel like James White is one of my favorite people and favorite teammates of all time. Um, we ended up jumping on the same G League team once we finished at Cincinnati, and that even that was even more of a fun time, like where me and him got to know each other. Um, I look at those times where I was being challenged on how to compete and learning so much about the game, the nuances. I watched so much game film on myself, on Rudy Gay, on Jeff Green, 
on Josh Boone, on Hilton Armstrong, all of my opponents, Greg Oden, Mike Conley, uh, Randy Foy, uh, Kyle Lowry. Like, these were all guys I got the opportunity to play against in college, and I'm leaving out a bunch of other pros. Quincy Doobie from uh, Rutgers, Demetrius Nichols from Syracuse, Gary McNamara from Syracuse. Like, I got to play against professional basketball players and measure myself and say to myself, like, I'm good enough. I just got to keep working. So my time at Cincinnati, not even as a player, but as a coach, was so valuable because it allows me to apply what I learned, what I know works. I apply it. What I feel is right, I apply it. What I know is right, I apply it. Things that I know that are wrong and things that don't work, I stay away from them. And I got the chance to see what doesn't work and what's wrong also. And I stay away from those things, and I feel like it, it makes me a – it definitely gives me an opportunity to be a more complete coach when it's time for me to, you know, give my spiel to whatever players I'm working with. For sure. And, and if you look at it, so just kind of looking at your journey, you've had a lot of ups and downs. And if you go and look at my journey in basketball – I've had a lot of ups and downs. And what what that does, and if you really look at it, like you, you, you coach and you work with young people, I work with young people, we want to give back and we want to give that hand-me-down knowledge to that younger person or whoever you're coaching so that either they don't make some of the same mistakes you did, I did, we can teach them about like, hey, I know you're going through this. Guess what? I went through that. And, you know, as you and I have gotten to know each other after I saw you at the Drew League and talked to you a little bit more, you told me about what you're doing. And I, I started looking at, you know, your journey, and I'm like, he has all the ingredients to be a really good coach because of the experiences you've been through, whether good yeah. or bad. And I, I think, Absolutely. you know, Ron, I think there are some coaches that have had, you know, they were star high school basketball players. They were stars in college, went to the league, then got into coaching. They've had a lot of success, and that success on a resume looks great. But where have they had the downs? Like, I think even the players that had more downs than ups sometimes make for better coaches and, at the end of the day, better teachers. All right. All right. Well, amen to that. I mean, speaking into existence, I agree, I agree with you on many levels of what you just said. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So let, let's talk a little bit about, you know, getting into coaching. Okay. So yeah. obviously you're very, you're very, very passionate about that. Um, mm-hmm. when, when you, when you finished playing, uh, you got into coaching. So, so tell the Bearcat fans about your journey in coaching. Oh my goodness. You're going to have to ask questions, man. Cause I'm going to go down. A, it's going to be a long, it's a long <laughs> journey. Man. You're going to have to ask questions. Cause I don't want to take up all the time just talking about the journey. Then you got questions about that. And then we, We'd be in this. We'd be in this interview for ninety minutes. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so when I saw you in LA, you okay. were coaching at a high school. You were a head high school coach, correct? Uh, I want to say yes. I think that was like was it set? Was it set two thousand eighteen? I I believe so. I okay, believe so let's was, say let's say it was a two thousand eighteen. Yes, that is correct. I was the high school. I was a high school head coach. Yes. And you were coaching at? I was I was the head coach at Inglewood High School. Englewood. For for two years, yeah. So from 2018 yeah. to 2020, I was the head coach at Eaglewood High School. Because I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but 
while we were standing there at the Drew League, you introduced me to a young man. You had me talk to a player, and you had me talk to him a little bit about life. And then you introduced me to a guy. I believe he was the head coach of maybe Jordan High School, and that was like a big yeah, rival. Yeah, so, right? so that, that's one of my childhood friends. We grew okay. up in the same neighborhood. He was He's the head coach at Jordan, which was like my home school. If you, like, what we call home school is – a lot of times in our communities, a lot of these young men, including myself, they get shipped out to other high schools because of a skill set that they have on the field, on the court, so on and so forth, right? So mm-hmm. I just so happened to be one of the kids that got plucked out of Watts and mm-hmm. sent to Linwood, then sent to Artesia because of the, because of the uh, potential that people saw in me. He stayed and played at the home high school and then – went on to JUCO, then went on to San Francisco, and then ended up coaching there. Played a little bit overseas, and so he's the head coach at L.A. Jordan High School, and he's still the head coach there. His name was uh, Tyrone Riley. I grew up with him. Shout out to uh, Tyrone Riley. That's my guy, man. So, yeah, I introduced you to him yep. and a bunch I of other that. folks. Because I remember you telling me, you told me, you said, you have to fly back to L.A. When we played them, you were like, man, it is off the charts. He was like, you have to come, man. It's a, it's a, it's a big game. So I, re- I remember that conversation. So after you finished coaching um, at the high school level, then where'd you go? Well, simultaneously, I was coaching my second year. I jumped into the NBA assistant coaching program, which is a program instructed by former NBA head coach Butch Carter that allows mm-hmm. former players, men and women, to have the opportunity to jump in the program and teach them the skills needed to coach at the next level, whether it be the G League or the NBA level. One of the skill sets that I went in needing was the ability to navigate successfully through the software and the technology. So all of the platforms that we use to create game films and scouting reports digitally to be able to submit to the coaches or the head coaches, I needed to learn that, right? Mm -hmm. So that program allowed me the opportunity for eight to ten months to, you know, we had homework assignments and we would, you know, we had access first. The most important thing is access, right? Like you get the chance to actually learn what it is you don't know. And that access allowed me to actually study, which allowed me to complete my homework assignments. And like I said, whenever basketball is on the line, I'm going to dominate. I'm going to find a way to do so. And I did that. And I figured out how to to do what I needed to learn how to do, whether it's fast scout, sports code, synergy, fast draw, like whatever I needed to learn, I, I figured out how to do it. I ended up creating a 73-page coaching portfolio mm. with with basically like all my work, like the four teams that I scouted, um, a bunch of documents, you know, alluding to what type of coach I was and what type of mindset I had and breaking down games and some stuff that I had did at Inglewood, the success that we had had at Inglewood. And um I put that all in a package, you know, everything from my resume at the beginning and the cover letter at the beginning to the end, a one sheet of me winning coach of the year, my best player getting the MVP, getting a scholarship to Colorado for football, uh, us winning league for the first time in a bunch of years, hosting a playoff game for the first time. I put all that in there, and I sent it, I emailed it to every G League team Except for Austin and Iowa, just because I couldn't find uh, I couldn't find contacts on those two teams, 
And the Utah Jazz and the Salt Lake City Stars reached out, and it was a six-month interview process, but we got it done. Nice. And so that's that's where you are now. Yes, I'm with the Utah Jazz organization. Yes, that's that's good. You, so you're getting a lot of great experience, and I think there are a lot of Bearcat fans that don't know. They don't know about your journey in coaching that you that you've done this and you're doing this right now. So I think it's important mm-hmm. for them to to hear that. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, the Bearcat basketball program as it stands today. Um, have you been following since you left UC? Have you been following the basketball program over the years? Here and there, yes okay. and no. Like, I definitely paid attention, but I, I wasn't as engaged as I could have been because I was so focused on the pursuit of what it was what I was trying to do from a coaching standpoint. I definitely stayed in touch with Mick. Obviously, you know, he's one of my mentors, and we, we ended up actually having a better relationship now than we ever could have imagined we would have when he was coaching me. Mm-hmm. And that started when he was at, still at Cincinnati. I, was, I started to come back. Um, to Cincinnati and spend some time before my season would start. I would spend some time just doing my homework with the guy who coached me in college, right? Mm-hmm. And that started to cultivate our relationship. And then when they would come down, when Cincy would come down to L.A. to play UCLA, I was a part of those practices. Mm-hmm. And that started to cultivate, uh, you know, me being more engaged with what was going on from a cultural standpoint at Cincinnati when the, the last head coach, Brennan, got the job, kind of didn't have much connection, but I still knew players. Like, I still knew Trey Scott. I still knew um, – uh, what's my guy? Uh, I can't think of the guard. I'm, I'm, I suck right now. Um, <laughs> oh, my God, I love this kid, man. Oh, my goodness. Um, anyway, I stayed in touch with a couple of the players and, you know, started to fall in love with who they were as players and who they were as mm-hmm. people. And um, and it kind of, like, just kept me engaged. And then, obviously, the, with the new hire of Wes Miller, we, you know, we started to get a little more engaged. And now, you know, after that Zoom call we had, it was more like Kane Broom. Oh, man, I can't believe it. I can't forget. I forgot oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, started, I, stayed, I stayed in touch with Kane. I saw how hard Coach was being on him. And I'm like, listen, I can, I can totally – relate mm-hmm. to you, man. So I wanted to yeah. pull him aside and keep his head straight and, and make sure he wasn't taking stuff personal. Super, super uh, great person, good kid, and mentally tough. Like, wasn't taking any of it personal, was just trying to figure out what the coach wanted him to do, right? Um, so, yeah, when the, cho- when the change was made, I think I have a better relationship with Wes than I could expect early on. Me and him have actually had a couple of conversations basketball-related. Yeah. And, and um I think that's, you know, that makes me feel better just because I'm, you know, I'm an alumni. I want to be a part of what's going on. Even if I can't be there, I want to be a part of what's going on. So I followed a little bit, but not as much as I should have. Yeah. What, so what are your thoughts on West Miller? Uh, you know what? I'll, I'll pretty much say the same thing that Kenyon said on the call, man. It's just, you know what? We're not mad at you. We're not going to hold anything against you. We just, we want an opportunity to represent our university from the coaching standpoint. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's you can't be mad at that, right? And I think Wes understands that being a North Carolina guy, like no one's ever going to get that job if they never played at North Carolina. Mm-hmm. It's not, and so he understands how we feel as former Bearcat players. To for him to make the hires that he's made so far, it, it shows that he he is you know he's not full of it so far so good, 
he's uh he's trying, right? He's hired two guys that are former Bearcats that are qualified, right? Like that's the most important part. For sure. It's it's our job to go become qualified to to have these positions that we're that we're uh we're pursuing. Right? Like you can't mm-hmm. just say, All right, I played, I should be the head coach. I played, I should be the head assistant. No, it's like what the assistant coaching program did for me. It's a two it's a two way street, right? We have to have an opportunity, but we also have to be prepared for said opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I feel like DeMar is fully prepared for that opportunity and I pray to God that he continues to grow personally on his own with which I'm sure he will, he'll continue to grow his 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 coaching network, his mind, his his intellectual intellectual approach to things that have to do with basketball on and off the court, that will allow him to continue to go up the coaching ranks. And um, uh, was it Kyle Washington that they hired? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like that that's good stuff, man. So so far, Wes, not gonna get no complaints from me, man. I mean, I understand how tough it is for him to take that job. I told him that on the call that we had, um, and I've told him that multiple times. Uh, Congratulations! I know how hard it is, how hard you worked, and and how awesome of an opportunity it is. And you're talking to a guy who I cried like a baby when the Jazz told me that they were going to hire me because it had been. <laughs> I'm serious, man. It had been from eight years old for me. It from eight years old to 28, I had been pursuing as a player trying to get to the NBA. When I retired because of my back injury at 28, it took me a year or two you know, going through a couple of things that were non-basketball, trying to figure out how I was going to – what was I – was I going to use my criminal justice degree or just trying to figure stuff out. But when I jumped into basketball at, as a coach at 29, and then I said, I'm, I'm trying to get to the league again. That, that, uh, that validation seven, eight years later, that, that that organization, the Utah Jazz, said, hey, you know what, Ron, you've done enough for us to offer you this opportunity. Like, that mm-hmm. validation, I, like, now I understand a woman, when a man proposes to her, she cries, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's some, that's a dream, right? Yeah. Uh, when, when a player gets drafted, you know, on draft day, like, I understand those tears of joy because you put so much work into this moment. And then for someone who has no reason to validate you, they validate you subconsciously by offering you the position that you never even thought about having. Like the Utah Jazz organization, I didn't even know anybody in the organization. I literally mm-hmm. sent cold calls and cold emails all of these GMs, the people who I knew in the league. Those weren't the people who gave me the opportunity. Now, I'm pretty sure there were some calls made, right? Like I'm pretty sure they called Mick and they called a couple of my other mentors and and asked around about me, right? So I had a bunch of relationships throughout the G League and throughout the NBA. So I'm not a ghost. I'm not popping up out of nowhere. But these people who I've had these relationships with, they weren't the people to be like, hey, man, Ron, we're going to give you a shot. No. Bart Taylor and Nathan Peavy and, and Justin Zanak and Dennis Lindsay and, like, everybody that we have in our David Morway and Marquise Newman, like, these people took a chance on Ronald Allen. Mm. Right, so that moment, man, I cried like a baby, man. I was so grateful, and honestly, when people ask me like, "How are you doing?" like I, I, I say the same thing because I really mean it. I'm living the dream. Like I dreamed of being in the NBA for so long, Meach. Yeah. So yeah, man, I can't complain, man. Yeah, for sure. Now, um, 
when an opportunity opens up at the University of Cincinnati at some point for an assistant coaching job, you going to apply for it? The Utah Jazz are, to me, in my personal opinion, one of the best, most well-organized, professional, well-ran organizations in the league. And this is coming from other people and other good and bad stories, right? Mm-hmm. Right now, the opportunity that I have here right in front of me, and this is just how I think, right? This is just how I think. The opportunity that I have in front of me, I'm trying to dominate it, right? Mm. If something comes up at that moment, I'll kind of look at where I am in life and figure it yep. out. Obviously, it's, it's a it's an awesome opportunity. It's beyond awesome to be a coach at your your your, uh, your, your school that you graduated from, your alumni. This is the institution that pretty much puts you – in the you know in the G League and overseas, you get to do all of these cool things. I couldn't tell you what that looked like if that opened up. I don't even know how to apply for basketball coaching positions. I think it's more like <laughs> people people know who they want before they like. There's an assistant coach right now in the world that has all four of his assistants already in his head when he gets his head job. So I couldn't tell you how that looks. I know that I want this. I want the school to be ultimately successful, ultra successful. I know that I am on a head coaching trajectory. I know mm-hmm. that I'm in an I'm in an uh, awesome organization that's allowing me in the off season to evaluate and scout and help be a voice for pre-draft players. And then during the season there I'm coaching whether it's player development or creating scouting reports. So like I'm I'm a full-time basketball coach. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's awesome, and that's a dream. Um, and if anything was to come up, I would have to look at my situation and my circumstances, and see if I wanted to leave this awesome situation that I'm in. Yeah, yeah, no, it may, totally, totally makes sense. Now, now, Ron, listen, I want to jump into the last part of the podcast that I always do for former players. I have three quick questions. And okay. I need three quick answers from you. Uh-oh. Okay, you, Uh-oh. you ready? Rapid, rapid fire. Okay. All rapid right, fire. Right, right. So okay. Here we go. Quick questions, quick answers with All Ronald right. Allen. Number one, if you didn't play basketball or weren't in the coaching, what other activity or profession would you be in? Law enforcement. Wow. Law enforcement. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. Question number two. When you played basketball at the University of Cincinnati and it was a big game and you had to get pumped up before a big game, what music, what artist were you listening to before that big game? Tupac and Jay-Z. I love both of them. It's actually Tupac's birthday today, 50 years old today. I didn't know know that. that. Yeah, I did not know that. That's crazy. <laughs> that is crazy. Tupac. That's crazy. That's crazy. Um, and, I, and I'm a fan of um, so. And, and Ice Cube too. I'm sorry, Ice Cube too. Okay. Yeah, I mean that's, that's yeah. That's the West Coast. You showing that West Coast love there? I'm well, no. I just I just thought about. I really thought about. It. I was like, I wanted to say Snoop, but I didn't listen to him on game day like I did with with Cube, Pac, and Jay. Okay. Were well, you listening to old Cube like N.W.A. or solo Cube Death Certificate? 
No, I was listening. I was listening to uh, uh, No Vaseline. I was yeah, listening to yeah. I was listening to Solo. Solo Q. Q. I was, yeah, you. I was listening to when he started. You know, you know, Lynch Mob Records, and it was it was going. They was moving. Yeah, for sure. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, the third and final question: If you could pick one player from your Bearcat time, one teammate mm-hmm. that you would take with you to go to battle, who would it? Be. You got one teammate to pick, and you saying, "Man, I don't care what the battle is. You're taking this one guy with you. What former teammate is it?" James White. Wow, that's your guy. That's my guy, man. That is. Your I don't guy. know. If, I don't know if he feels the same way about me, but James is my guy. <laughs> <laughs> like, I get a head coaching job wherever. Like, I'm trying to hire James. Yeah, yeah. Like, James is my guy. You know, like I just, I just know things about him and who he is as a person that I admire. I think yeah. the first thing for me was how he was raised. Like when I met his dad, it made so much sense of the man he was, and I admire that type of stuff because I had a, I had a militant uncle who raised me. You know, I was lucky. Like I was really lucky growing up in the environment that I grew up in to have a, a militant uncle who had made his mistakes and was not going to allow this nephew to make those mistakes. Right. Gotcha. And when I met James's dad and I saw the way James's dad interacted with James and I saw the man who James was when his dad wasn't around. And then I saw the man who James was with his kids because James had kids way before I did. I started to admire who he was as a person before it was the, the, the high flying dunk. So me and mm. like, that's my favorite Bearcat teammate. And that's my guy. That's how I yeah. feel. Like I said, I don't know how he feels. I'm pretty yeah. sure he probably don't even think about it that deep. Like, James has always been, like, you know, in a different space, but that's my man's. Yeah, for sure. Now, listen, um, so this podcast um, has has grown a lot, and we're fortunate enough that before UC Home Games this coming season, we will be doing live broadcasts from Mio's in Clifton, which is a, is nice. a pizza joint. Yeah, which we're very, very excited about. And uh, we would love to have you come back in town and come be on the live uh, broadcast. And then after the podcast, walk over to the, you know, uh, Fifth Third Arena and go to a game. And, Say no uh, more. And come, come hang out. Are you, you in? Listen, all I need to know is what, what the Bearcat schedule look like and what the star schedule look like. And we're going to find out where there's an opening and you got me. Yep. Deal. Perfect. I love it. I love it. We're going to coordinate that up. Um, as soon as that schedule comes out, I'm going to text you, and I'm going to I'm going to lock you in. So I think that would be great, man. So, hey, listen, man, I, I really appreciate the time, and I really wanted to kind of dive through your story, man, and, and take our time with it because I think uh, not only are you a, you're a great coach now, but I think people that have been through a journey of ups and downs always seem to make for great coaches, teachers, and mentors because they can look that person in the face and say, look, I've been there. Here's what yeah. you need to do. Here's what you need Amen. to think about. You know what I'm saying? And, Amen. and you're, and you're that person. Um, so I wish you Thank the you. ultimate success. Um, hopefully if it works out in the NBA, that would be awesome. Um, if it works out that you're, you're wearing a red and black and you're on the sidelines here in Cincinnati, I would love that as well. That part. I appreciate you, man. I appreciate all of us throughout the years, man. Shout out, man. 
speech, man. Oh. You always do. You always have my back, man. I appreciate you so much, man. Anytime, anytime you need anything, feel free. I'm a text away or a phone call away. Oh, no question. And I appreciate that one day you texted me and you sent me a video. And in the video, you were playing Jay-Z and you were showing me your sneaker collection. And they were Jordans. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. like... That's my two favorites, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the it was the Nipsey, it was the Nipsey and Jay Z. What it feels like. Yes. And, yes. and it was the shoes. Like that that verse, Nipsey's verse, man. means so much. It means so. So real quick, just like a little side note. I, I love hip hop. Yeah. And like in R and B, right? So, like anybody who's listening to me or anybody who's listening, if you do two things, you'll know exactly how I feel on a day to day basis in my life in my mind. If you listen to Nipsey's verse on what it feels like with Jay-Z, featuring Jay-Z, if you listen to Nipsey's verse and you break it down and you listen to it, and then you listen to J. Cole's verse, the first verse on 100 Mil on his new album, Mm. those two verses, I couldn't, in 32 bars, I couldn't explain more about how I feel and my mindset in life more than those two verses. So when I hear both of those songs, I I have made it a... Packed, like, I'm never going to change this song. Like, I'm never going to skip this song. I'm going to listen to this song. I don't care where I'm at in life. This verse means the world to me. So that's why I put that verse and showed you them shoes because I know how much you love Jordans. Yeah, for sure. Yep. And yeah. Jay-Z. Yeah, for that, sure. And Jay-Z, too. that part. And I love Jay. I love Jay. No question. And, and you know what? Um, I, over time, became a huge Nipsey fan. And I yeah. didn't really – I wasn't familiar with Nipsey's music early on. I know he was really growing a buzz in L.A., and then he put yeah. out, like, a a mixtape that he was charging, like, $100 for, and it created yeah, a buzz, right? You know, Jay-Z bought 100 copies of that mixtape. Well, that's what I was going to get to because I yeah. wasn't hip to it until I heard Jay-Z bought all those, and I'm like, wait, 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 wait. If Jay's on it, I got to right. get, get right, on that right. guy, <laughs> right? So, 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 So Jay said something to the effect like, hey, the way this kid Nipsey's moving and what he's saying, like this kid's the next, this kid's the next thing. And I started yep. listening to Nipsey's music. Like I was listening to like ocean views and all this. And I'm like, Oh man, this kid, this kid's different. And I, I got a crazy Nipsey story. Go so, ahead. Um, so one of the players that played in my AU basketball uh, program that I mentored, um, he's doing great things now. So he opened up a, a gym here in Cincinnati. Um, it's called ESF CrossFit, and it's on a, a Reading Road. And his gym's doing amazing right now. And so I go in there and I work out once a week with him, and he trains me. He's in tremendous shape. So, um, I, you know, I'm always taking trips, you know, going places, whether it's AU or, you know, just in general going and, and, and shopping up with people. And at that time I was going out to L.A. quite a bit. And I was always running, you know how L.A. is, you always run into some sort of celeb or somebody and, you know, I'm getting pics with all kind of people. And so I'm getting ready to head out to L.A. And right. I'm, I'm about mm, a week from heading out. And so my trainer, Nick, he says to me, he's like, hey, when you're out in L.A., do me a favor. He's like, go to Nipsey shop you know, the marathon, you know, where, you know, his clothing shop. And he's like, and get a picture with Nipsey. He's like, you've got to get a pic with Nip. And Nip was alive at the time. He's like, you've got to get a picture with him. And I'm like, 
that's random. Like, I'm looking at him like, what, why Nipsey? Like, of all the people. He's like, man, I just I just really love his music, man. He's like, if you get a pick with him, he's like, you're good in my book. And so I'm like, all right. So I go to L.A., and for whatever reason, I got super busy, and I forgot. And I mm. get back to Cincinnati. I go to the gym, and, and Nick's like, man, I didn't see a pick. And I was like, man, I totally forgot. You know what? In the next week, Nipsey gets shot and killed. Yep. He gets shot and killed the next week. And Nick yeah. just looks at me. And I'm like, why were you Crazy. telling me so? And he was, like, adamant that I go and get a pick with him. And I didn't. And you know, you and you know how Nipsey was. He was out in front of his store all the time. Yeah, he was there. That's where he. That's where he grew up. That's where he. You know, that's where he. He learned a lot of life lessons, good and bad. Yeah. And and he For he sure. capitalized. He capitalized on his dream. Um, yep. Nipsey to, to like kind of like bring it full circle. I, I you know I, I got into his music when it first started because he was a family friend. Mm. Like it wasn't. It wasn't. Oh, I'm a best friend. I'm gonna get to know. Like honestly, I never met the dude, right? Because I always felt like I had time because he was so close to someone who I was so close to. Mm-hmm. Like, like my cousin, like my mom's sister, son. It's like they went. He went to school with Nip, right? And like he started rapping, and they started rapping. And I see them in in the studio together on social media. But I'm doing my basketball thing, right? So I'm like, I always feel like I got time, but I'm really bumping his music, and. It, it was like uh, it was a moment where when I was a coach at Inglewood, I had an opportunity. We had practice, and I was driving to practice, and I got a call from one of my cousins, and they said, "Yo, Nip in the hood," and he like he's not from our neighborhood. He's like from the west side. Mm-hmm. He's all the way on the east side in our neighborhood, like hanging out with our people, mm-hmm. like in our projects, mm-hmm. and I'm like. That's what's up. They're like, nah, he here. Like, he here chilling. Like, I know how much, because everybody knew, everybody who knew me knew I listened to his music. I listened to J. Cole. I listened to Kendrick. Mm-hmm. Like, they knew mm-hmm. who I was listening to. And they're like, yo, you should pull up. And I'm like, man, we got practice today. Yeah. He's like, man, he like, man, forget that, man, nip in the hood. And, and so I was following it on social media. So they spent like a whole day together, got on the trains and rolled from the neighborhood I grew up in all the way to Nip's neighborhood. It was like a thing, like on social media, like, Nip is like it was like Nip just kind of showing everybody love, and um, that day he took pictures with a bunch of dudes that I knew and grew up with, and I always thought to myself like, damn, like I should should I have called practice that day, and <laughs> it was a, it was like I think maybe like about a month or so after afterwards he you know the situation happened where uh you know he 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 got gunned down, but it was one of those things where I was just telling one of my friends here today. Um, I showed her a picture of my cousin and Nick, and then I showed her a picture of me and my cousin, like the same dude, like just showing how close I was, but I never, you know, capitalized on the opportunity. And sure. it, just tells, it just tells people, like, you know what, do what do what your heart says, man. You know, like, you know, if, if something is kind of weighing on you, man, just I, I feel like it's a prayer. All it needs is a prayer. is like, Lord, you know, give me a sign that I should do this or that. And if yeah. you have a, a strong connection or even if you just have a, a remotely decent connection, you pay attention, you know, it could have been. Because I think that day, what was funny was I think that day at practice we had, like, film, got something to eat, 
because I think it was like in between games, right? It was, a, it was a light. It was a light practice. It was a light practice. That. I could have canceled just, that. Yeah. Right. I could have just been like, hey, you know what? We're gonna meet early tomorrow. Like, it's hindsight is don't be so one track minded. Yeah. Because that greatness could could rub off, right? Like you never know how that relationship could foster another relationship that could foster another one. So I don't regret it. By no means do I regret it. I just think it was it was very similar to what you had said about how yeah. you kind of you wanted to do it but you didn't, and it was just you know he's an awesome yep. dude. It was and, you know he made, he made it he made his mistakes. He he did what he needed to do to survive and get through his childhood, but ultimately he pretty much became the leader of a lot of young black males' mindsets mm-hmm. when it comes to trying yeah. to figure out how do I gain access to what I know I need to know to become what I know I want to become. Yeah. Yep. Yep, for sure, man. Yeah. And, and I always love the marathon continues, man. And, and yes, sir. You're, on a, you're on a marathon. I'm on a marathon. We're all on that journey, man. So, hey, man, keep doing what you're doing, man. Let's stay in touch. And uh, I'm going to be in touch with you very soon about that Bearcat schedule. We're going to get you down here to Mio's and uh, get you on the podcast live so Bearcat fans can see you face-to-face. Is that good? And I can't, I can't wait. Absolutely, man. Count me in. Like I said, I was trying to, I was trying to figure out when I was going to come down for this season anyway, but you just gave me Perfect. the reason. Perfect, man. Let's do it, brother. Well, hey, I appreciate it, man. I'll let you get back, and uh, we're going to catch up real soon, Ron. My man, I appreciate you, man. God bless you. Stay safe, man. Yeah, you too, man. Appreciate you coming on. Talk to you soon. Cool, cool. All right. All right. Later, man. Once again, I want to thank everybody for the support. Uh, The Bearcat Basketball Podcast is now presented by the Healthcare Management Group. Shout out to everyone at HCMG, and thank you for the support. Once again, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. You can also find me on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. On Snapchat, at BigMeach41. I'm on TikTok, Alex Meacham41. Right, Stu? That's right. Video coming soon. Coming soon. I want to thank everybody for listening to the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Go Go Bearcats. Bearcats!